Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The biblical view is that man at his core, when you dig down deep, what you're going to find is evil. The deeper you go, the darker things become. That's the biblical picture. And if you understand that, that will help you to understand why there is such hostility to the Bible in the culture. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 through 21, in a message titled, Humanity's Hopeless Condition. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the night vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So our focus today as we come to this ninth chapter is going to be on the last two verses of the chapter, verses 20 and 21. Now, as we look at these two verses, as we zero in on verses 20 and 21, let me just read them to you again. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which could neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. I've entitled the message, as you can see, Humanity's Hopeless Condition. And this passage that we're reading here is just a reminder of how that is the case with man. These verses have always astounded me. Every time I read them, I come away amazed at the depth of human depravity. And and I don't think there's been a time, at least in the last several years, that I haven't read through the book of Revelation 
and, and stopped at this point and just sort of sat in amazement at how it could possibly be that under these kinds of conditions that people would still refuse to repent, that they would, you know, when, when everything is just completely obvious to them that, you know, this is God's judgment on the earth, that they would still persist in their rebellion against God. But that's exactly what it is that we are reading about here. Now, as I think about this, I think about our tendency to think of those who don't believe in Christ as either people who are, they, they don't believe because of ignorance, they don't, they don't know, or they don't believe because we sometimes think, well, you know, it's a, it's a misrepresentation of the gospel. They've never really seen a, you know, a true, accurate picture of who Christ is, and, and therefore they're rejecting. My point is that we're, most of the time, we're reluctant to admit that there are people who, the issue is not that they're ignorant. The issue is not that there's been a misrepresentation. The issue is really that in the heart of every person, there is an aggressive rebellion against the rule of God. And that is what we see here. And in the book of Revelation, like I pointed out before, so many of the things that scripture teaches all the way through are confirmed in the book of Revelation. And one of the things that the scripture teaches from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, is just this idea of the depravity of man. The depravity of man, meaning that man is hopelessly lost in sin and unless God intervenes to save, man will continue in rebellion against God and, and go to destruction. That's really the, the essence of the teaching of the Bible on the condition of man. Now, in the world of philosophy and religion, there are only two views on man's natural condition. There are only two views. The most dominant and popular view is the view that man is essentially good. That when you clear away all the rubble and you, you know, get through all the, the junk and the, the darkness and all of that, if you dig down deep enough, you're going to find that in the heart of every person, there's a touch of goodness. That is the dominant and it's the popular view and it is the view of every single religion in the world and it's the view of every philosophy in the world. There's only one opposing view to it and that's the biblical view. You see, the biblical view is that man at his core, when you dig down deep, what you're gonna find is evil. The deeper you go, the darker things become. That's the biblical picture, that our nature is twisted and perverted through sin. This is what the Bible teaches. And if you understand that, that will help you to understand why there is such hostility to the Bible in the culture. 
That's why there's such hostility to the message of Jesus. That's why you can find so often that people are willing and ready to accommodate almost every other religion and almost any imaginable philosophy, but they will not tolerate the biblical message because it just goes completely against the grain of what we tend to think about ourselves. Now, just to show you real quickly that the biblical view from Genesis to Revelation is one of human depravity, let me read to you a few verses. Starting in Genesis, going back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, and then just uh, another portion of chapter 8, verse 21, it says this. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then 8.21 says, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. So this is going all the way back to the beginning. This is at the time of Noah. So here we have it stated in Genesis. We fast forward to the days of the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or incurably sick. And then the question was, who can know it? And the idea there is that no one can know. We can't, we can't even know the depth of our own depravity. We would never imagine that we are as evil as we potentially are. God is the one who had to reveal that to us. But then we go forward from Jeremiah and we come to Jesus himself. And Jesus said in the gospels, and I'm going to read from Mark 7, 21 through 23, Jesus said, from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil lie, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within. So you see, this is, the, this is the picture that the Bible paints of man. Uh, some years ago, Malcolm Muggridge, the well-known uh, British, he was, he was an author, he was a journalist, he said this, having come from a position of sort of atheistic, agnostic, background, coming to a position of faith in Christ, this is what he said. He said, the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time, the most intellectually resisted fact. How true that statement is. It's obvious. We don't have to look far. We just look in the mirror. And we know from experience that our proclivity is toward evil. That's just the, the bent of human nature. But even though it's, it's so obvious, even though it's all around us, there is this fierce denial of it. There is this constant pushback coming against this. And so as we come to the passage that we're considering here today, we see here in these verses, we see further evidence of this fact. This, this is what the, the passage is communicating to us, is that everything God has always said about man is true. And here's just another example of it. 
Now, the example of it is seen in their refusal to repent, even though it's completely clear and obvious that God is the one who's bringing these judgments. And remember too, let me just set the stage for you. Uh, We picked up in verse 13 of of, uh, chapter nine, but let me give you kind of the the things that preceded it. The the events that we're reading about here, uh, judgment has fallen on the world and we've now come to the sixth trumpet. So remember there were seven seals that were opened up first and then after that came the seven trumpets. And so now here we are, we picked up reading at the sixth trumpet. But prior to this, in the judgments, there's a third of the vegetation that's been destroyed on the earth. There's a third of the sea has become like blood. A third of the fresh water supply has been contaminated. A third of the sun, moon, and stars have been darkened. The bottomless pit has been opened up and locust-like demonic creatures have been let loose to torment those who dwell on the earth, and another third of the world's population has been destroyed. So that's the context for this. All of that is going on. It's clear. Everybody on earth is, is understanding at this point that the God of heaven, the maker of all things, is bringing about his judgment. Now, there are people who are responding in the right way because we know from an earlier passage that there are multitudes of people that come out of the great tribulation who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. In other words, they've they've come to faith in Christ. But there's still this majority of people in the world that are resisting the gospel. They're resisting God's call to repentance. And as I look at this, it's like the world collectively is now manifesting the same kind of behavior that we saw historically in Pharaoh, the Egyptian king at the time of Moses. If you go back to the book of Exodus and you read the story of the Exodus and how God sends Moses to Egypt and he commands uh, through Moses, he commands Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? I don't know the Lord. I'm not going to obey him. And then God begins to show Pharaoh who he is. And on 10 different occasions, God gives Pharaoh an opportunity to repent. God begins to pour out his judgment. And then after each one of the judgments, Pharaoh has the opportunity to, you know, throw up his hands and say, okay, you're God, I'm not. And uh, I'm going to submit myself to you. But all the way to the very end, all the way to his very own destruction, Pharaoh resists. He hardens his heart over and over and over and over again. And that's pretty much what we see happening here with this group of people that are being described. Now, I want to just walk through the list of things that they would not repent of. There's specific sins are spoken of here that they would not repent of. And so notice again what it says in verse 20, that they did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should worship demons and idols of gold, silver, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So 
no doubt these weren't the only sins that people were engaging in, but the author here, he zeroes in on these particular sins. And what I want to do is I want to go back to something I said previously in a previous message, actually, where we talked about how, although these things are future, and although by the grace of God, the church will not be in the world at the time, even though they're future, we can expect a, a conditioning to take place in the world in preparation for this time that's coming. And every one of these things that are highlighted, the, the worship of demons, the idolatry, the murder, the sorcery, the, the sexual immorality, and the theft, all of these things are beginning to rise to, to a new level even in our world today. And now, I think during the, the period of time that we're looking at here, during the tribulation period, it, it's going to go obviously to, a, to a, a heightened level, but we see that things are, are already moving in that direction. But let's just, like I said, let's walk through each of them. First of all, the worship of demons. Now, when we think of the worship of demons, I think most of us would probably think, well, man, I don't know who does that, but I, I don't do anything like that. You would be astounded at how much demon worship there is that is going on all around the world today and, and even in our own culture. Now, of course, a lot of people don't completely understand that that's what they're doing, but that is exactly what they're doing. I was reading the a story of uh, the life uh, testimony of a, of a friend of mine, a guy I just met, he gave me, his, um, gave me his little biography and it's a great book. And he was raised in Cuba as a Roman Catholic and yet his family was involved in what's called Santeria. Some of you know what that is. Well, Santeria is really, kind of, it's a combination of Catholicism and demon worship. Now, of course, they don't talk so much about the demon part of it, but that's actually what's taking place as they uh, seek to connect with, with the saints and with the dead and, and so forth. And they, they engage in putting curses on people and, and all kinds of things like that. So as, I, as I'm reading through his book and he's talking about the activity that they were involved in in the Santeria in their own family, although they, they thought that this was just part of their Catholic religion, he understood clearly that they were they're trafficking with demons as they were putting curses on people and different sorts of things, offering sacrifices and things like that. So this is, this is pre quite prevalent in the Latin world. So that's just, that's just one example, but whether it be you know, Hinduism or Buddhism or these different things, all false religion has its roots in demonic ideas. Paul tells us that in the last days, people are going to depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, in the future, in the tribulation period, that's going to give way to the actual worship of the devil himself. The whole thing that's happening with the Antichrist is in the end, all of the people on the earth are going to pledge their allegiance to Satan. That's what it is. It tells us, we'll, we'll get to it as we move on. It tells us specifically at a certain point 
that they worshiped the dragon who gave power to the beast. The beast is the antichrist. The dragon is the devil. There's, there's a point when the whole world is going to worship the devil. That, of course, is what Satan has longed for the entire time. He's always wanted man to worship. He's wanted man's allegiance. And, and of course, he's been able to get it to a large degree, but he's, he's gotten it indirectly. But he longs for that day when there is just this direct worship of himself, and that day is coming. And so in that context, the worship of demons would certainly probably include what's coming in the worldwide worship of the devil through the Antichrist. But we see today, we see an increased interest in and attraction toward false religion. Like I said earlier, the true faith coming through Christ and and God's word is pushed out and it is oftentimes replaced by some other religion, which would in essence be a demonic religion. But then there's also the reference here to idolatry, to idols, the works of their hands. And the idols here, of course, idols and demonic worship are connected. When you go back into the ancient world, you would find in all of these various cults and religious rituals, there was always an idol that was part of that. And then that idol would connect you to that various deity, but also the idol connects you to a philosophy of some sort. And I think one of the things we can safely say when we're talking about idolatry today is the worshiping of the works of their hands, which is a way of talking about materialism. And in the future, in this kingdom that's coming, this short-lived kingdom of the Antichrist, remember one of the emphasis, as we'll again see later, is the emphasis on buying and selling. It's going to be a crazy time of of consumerism and materialism. And, And again, this is, the world is being conditioned for that. So many people are, are living for that. Their whole existence is about getting something materially that's going to satisfy them, something that they identify with, something that gives them status among their peers or whatever the case might be. So we see the world more and more going in that direction. But then we come to these other things that are mentioned the murders, the sorceries, the sexual immorality, and the theft. Murder is on the increase all over the world. I think in the context here of of Revelation 9, when we're talking about murder, I think we're talking about a, I think we're definitely talking about a sort of an anarchy in the sense of just murder is rampant, but I also think we're talking about murder in a more like a genocidal sense. For the month of June, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner. Are you struggling to recognize the hand of God during difficult seasons of life? If you need a fresh reminder of God's presence in your present circumstances, or if you know someone who does, then you need to get this book. The Myth of Coincidence chronicles John Bonner's story of God's faithfulness and is full of devotional insights, scripture, and sections for reflecting upon how God is at work in your life. Dispel the myth of coincidence in your own story 
Get this book today. The book, The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. We are so excited about this Israel trip because we absolutely love going to Israel. So we'd love to have you join us October 23rd through November 4th, 2022. And you can find more information at israel.cccm.com. We'd love to have you join us.